I bring you grace and greetings from First Baptist Church Pelham, located right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. It is a joy and a privilege for me to be here with you today. It is always an honor to be able to be with my friend, Nathan Daniels, his beautiful wife, Jessica, their three children. And I look out over the crowd and I see many familiar faces from Pleasant Grove. And it's always a joy and a delight to see you, to be reunited with you. I feel as if I'm at home today, and I hope that that's okay. It is good when God's people get together in God's house on God's day to proclaim God's word and to worship together in spirit and in truth. It is always a privilege and high joy to be able to be and to see Rob Perry. So, Rob, thank you for leading us in such a master way this morning. Today, I want to talk to you about redemption. And I believe that redemption takes place when you and I encounter the contagious Jesus. If you and I do not encounter the contagious Jesus, then redemption cannot take place. But when we bump into the contagious Jesus, inevitably redemption occurs. If you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 40 to 45. And once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 1. Allow me to begin reading at verse 40. I will conclude at verse 45. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding, and to the obedience of his perfect word, you may be seated. The Center for Disease Control reports that the deadliest diseases that you and I just might encounter include heart attack and stroke. Some of the most contagious diseases in all the world are malaria, hepatitis B, Some of the most contagious, deadliest diseases include things like HIV and pneumonia. There are literally hundreds of diseases that have absolutely no known cure. There might be a vaccination in the effort to keep you from contracting it. There might be some medication in the event that you come down with it, but... To this day, there's no medication. There's nothing that can prevent it. Some of those diseases include things like polio and Parkinson's disease and diabetes. As I read through some of these CDC reports on the website, I've got to be honest, I was mildly shocked not to find that commonly childhood disease that could break out on any elementary school playground. Of course, the disease I'm referring to is the cooties. The cooties are highly contagious. 
They can break out at the monkey bars or the swing set or the basketball court. It can be conveyed merely by touch. It can rapidly go from one third grader to another third grader. And before you know it, you can have a cootie epidemic on your hands. I don't know the shelf life of cooties. To be honest, I may still have the cooties. Today, we are confronted by a man with a disease. It was more deadly than a heart attack. It was more contagious than HIV. It carried a greater stigma than even the cooties. Mark tells us that a man with leprosy came to Jesus. We don't know anything about this man. We don't know his name. We don't know his age. We don't know his family history. We don't even know his nationality. The only thing we know about this individual is his infirmity. This man had leprosy. Now, tragically, you and I do the very same thing today. We slap a label on an individual based upon their flaw or their failure or their sickness. We speak about Sally. You know who I'm talking about. Sally, the cancer patient. We make reference of Dave. You know Dave. Dave, that adulterer. And we speak of Jill, the alcoholic. And all the while, we're just identifying people by their infirmity or by their sickness. This man, in our story, is just simply known as the one with leprosy. In the days of Jesus, leprosy was a highly contagious and dreadfully painful disease. It was a skin disease that would develop skin uh, lesions and abnormalities. It was extremely painful because it would latch on to the nervous system. And normally... There was skin discoloration, there was oozing, there was uh, skin uh, open sores. Sometimes there was disfigurement, uh, deformity, and oftentimes death. Nobody knew what to do with a leper. So they told them just to get out of town and to leave everybody alone. This man comes to Jesus with a bold request. He has leprosy. In the days of Jesus, there was a rabbinical statement that said, it is as hard to heal a leper as to raise the dead. That's a bold statement. That's a heavy statement. It is as hard to heal a leper as to raise the dead. Now, why in the world would the rabbis say that? Let me ask you this. In all the Old Testament, how many success stories are there of individuals who were cured from leprosy? Out of the 39 books, there's only two success stories. That's it. One comes to us in Numbers chapter 12. The other comes in 2 Kings chapter 5. And on both occasions, it is God who gives the healing. In Numbers chapter 12, it's the sister Miriam who begins to complain against Moses, her brother, because she says, has God only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through me and Aaron? God didn't take too kindly to this sibling rivalry. God never takes too kindly to sibling rivalry. So God appears in a cloud. He summons those siblings of Moses and Miriam and Aaron. He comes to set the record straight. No sooner had the cloud lifted and God left, did the brothers look at Miriam. And she was covered as white as snow from head to toe. She had leprosy all over her body. It took her about a split second to realize that maybe she was wrong. And so she repented of her sin. And it is God who gave the healing. In 2 Kings chapter 5, it's the 
highly decorated Syrian soldier named Naaman who had leprosy. His wife's slave girl was a Jewish servant girl. She said, if my master would only go to the prophet in Israel, he would be cured of his leprosy. And so Naaman was at his wit's end. He didn't know what else to do. So he went to his commander in chief, asked if he could go behind enemy lines and go to Israel and seek out this prophet. The Syrian king gave him a noble entourage, gave him permission to go, and he went to the city of Samaria. There he found Elisha. Elisha told him to go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. Now, at first, Naaman was reluctant. He thought to himself, yeah, that's muddy water. I'm not going in there. We got better water in Syria than you guys have over here. But reluctantly, eventually, he went and he ducked seven times. The seventh trip down and seventh trip up, he came up and his skin was smooth. Smooth as a baby's behind. And Naaman said, whoa, your God has healed me. On both those occasions, it is God who gives the healing. Out of 39 books... There are only two success stories of somebody being cured and healed from leprosy. That's why the rabbi said in the days of Jesus, this is hard. It's as hard to heal a leper as it is to raise the dead. It was very common to get leprosy, highly contagious. Merely by touch, one could spread leprosy all throughout the camp. It was deadly, it was dreadful, it was painful, it was a terrible predicament. And so Moses in the Pentateuch says that if you have leprosy, you got to live outside the camp. And in the remote shot, chance that you bump into anybody, you've got to keep your distance. You've got to wear your hair long, keep loose clothing, cover your mouth, and yell, unclean, unclean, as to not contaminate anybody else. This was serious business. Yet in our story, this man who has leprosy, he's bold. This man who has leprosy breaks rank. This man who has leprosy gets close enough to touch Jesus. He gets down on his knees and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This morning, I want you to see, I want you to see that this man had no shred of doubt in his request. He did not question the authority or the ability of Jesus. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man brought his human impossibility to the one who makes all things possible. This man in our story brought his human impossibility to the one who makes all things possible. Because I'm Trinitarian, I'm going to say it a third time. This man in our story brought his human impossibility to the one who makes all things possible. His situation, his predicament, his prognosis was bleak. He had a human impossibility. Most people in his day just said, go and die, because there's nobody who's going to be able to help you, and nobody's going to be able to heal you. But this man takes his human impossibility, and he brings it to the one who makes all things possible. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He comes to Jesus like the cancer patient. The doctor has said, there's no hope. We've given you all the chemo and all the radiation your body can take. We advise for you to go home and get your house in order. And yet the cancer patient, in full faith, believes that Jesus can heal 
It is like the woman whose marriage has been viciously violated numerous times because of adultery. All of her friends tell her, leave that lousy husband. In fact, her own counselor has given her the advice, you need to begin to cope with the reality of what life is going to be like without him after the divorce. And yet this woman goes to God in full faith, believing that Jesus has the power not just to save her marriage, but to save her husband. It's like the parents who still, even after four years, sob themselves to sleep at night. It was four years ago that their then teenage daughter ran off with her deadbeat boyfriend. Neither mom nor dad liked the boyfriend. He was a loser. But they could not keep their daughter from him. And four years ago, they found a note. And for the last four years, they have not seen nor heard from their daughter. You can imagine that every time the phone rings, every time there's a knock on the door, their palms get sweaty and there's a lump that jumps into their throats. Oh, all the friends of these parents, they try to tell them, you need to get ready to brace yourself for reality that that your daughter, she may never come back. She may not even be alive. Yet this mom and dad, boldly, Take their request to Jesus, believing that Jesus can help. Friend, this morning I came to tell you, there are some things in this world that money cannot fix. There are some things in this world that the military cannot fix. There are some things in this world that Congress cannot fix. There are some things in this world that doctors cannot fix. There are some things in this world that lawyers cannot fix. There are some things in this world that teachers cannot fix. There are some things in this world that coaches cannot fix. Some things in this world that parents cannot fix. Some things in this world that your boss cannot fix. Some things in this world your charisma cannot fix. Some things in this world that you cannot fix. But there ain't nothing that Jesus can't fix. I know that that's bad grammar. But it's great theology. Hashtag ain't nothing. There ain't nothing Jesus can't fix. It is this raw faith, splendid faith, that takes this man to Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me clean. How does Jesus respond to such faith? Verse 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And he reached out and touched the man. Filled with compassion. I realize that some of your uh, English translations may read that first phrase as Jesus was indignant. You think to yourself, preacher, compassion and indignant don't sound like synonyms. And you're right. And whenever you come to an English rendering that seems so contrary, what that communicates to you is that the Greek word is hard to translate. The Greek word in our ancient text is a derivative of the word splankna, from which we get the English word spleen. Jesus responded with splankna. It's deep, gut-wrenching emotion. It's emotion that erupts inside of a person. It is something that that 
ignites within them and motivates them unto action. I think it's more appropriate for us to regard this as compassion. It's not indignant in the sense that Jesus is angry about something. But he does have enormous emotion that wells up inside of him and stirs him unto action. One theologian said that when you come to this word, it means that Jesus' guts were shaking. He was moved to the core of his being. His guts were shaking. He, he, he responded and being stirred unto action, he did something about it. Jesus was stirred unto action. Not just because of this man's pitiful condition. He was stirred unto action because of this man's conviction. I've been told conviction is not something you hold, but it's something that holds you. This man had a conviction that Jesus can fix it. Jesus can help. And so he comes and he falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, I've discovered, is always stirred unto action at the intersection of human suffering and splendid faith. That's what we have on display here. We have human suffering that is uh, being crossed with splendid faith. And that prompts Jesus to be stirred unto action. It's not just that Jesus is overwhelmed by the human suffering that's in front of him. But don't get me wrong, this is a grotesque individual that's standing in front of him. I mean, this individual is suffering to the core, but this suffering is being met with splendid faith. And whenever you find that intersection, Jesus is moved, stirred unto action. Jesus responds where there is crisis and conviction. It causes me to push the pause button here and ask you the question, what stirs you to action? What causes emotion to rise up inside of you? What happens in your life that prompts you to get up and do something? I've got to be honest that if, if I evaluate my life, that there are many times I am stirred to action. And what stirs me is pretty selfish and pretty superficial. If you're anything like me, if I'm anything like you, we are people who get stirred unto action because of a ball game. We get stirred unto action because of a shopping spree. I mean, you buy two, you get the third one free. We are stirred unto action when we feel as if we've just got to We've just got to tell everybody about our little idols. I mean, the children and grandchildren. And we've got to post all their accomplishments. Why? Because everybody needs to know because of how good our children and grandchildren are. And sometimes we may even be stirred unto action by that idiot on the interstate. And you ask yourself the question, how in the world does that person still have a driver's license? I can't believe he just caught me off like that. And it stirs us to do something. Oh, if you're anything like me, beloved, we get... Emotion that rises up from the pit of our stomach and we get stirred unto action and we're motivated to do something. But far too many times what stirs me and stirs you is shallow, superficial. Look at the Savior. The Lord Jesus is stirred unto action because he sees this man's condition and he also hears this man's conviction. It's at the intersection of human suffering. And splendid faith that prompts Jesus to do something. Jesus says to the man, I am willing, be clean. And he reached out and touched the man. 
I've got to be honest with you, this is the most surprising part of the story. Why did Jesus touch this man with leprosy? He didn't have to. It wasn't necessary. Jesus merely could have spoken this man's healing. But you realize that there are numerous times in the gospel where Jesus will speak, creation will obey and the sick will be made well. It wasn't necessary for Jesus to reach out and touch this man. In Mark chapter 4, Mark will tell us a story about how Jesus and the boys are on the Sea of Galilee. And a severe storm comes up on the sea and it leaves them petrified. Jesus is asleep on the boat. What do you do with a sleeping Jesus? You wake him up. That's what you do. They went back there. They woke up Jesus. and They said, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus stood up in the front of the boat, lifted his hand, said two words, quiet, still. And everything was calm. The wind stopped blowing. The rain stopped falling. What's remarkable is that Jesus did not have to reach up and feel the wind against his skin. He didn't have to bend over and, and feel the water of the waves against his hand. All he had to do was, as creator, stand up and say to creation, quiet, still. And everything became calm. There's another story that's told that there was a Roman centurion who had a servant whom he highly valued, and that servant was sick. The Roman centurion knew that he was not Jewish, but he heard that the miracle worker named Jesus was Jewish, So in those days, what do you do? Well, you send a Jewish religious delegation to negotiate the deal. That's what you do. And so the Roman centurion got some of the best Jewish religious leaders he knew of. He said, please, can you gain an audience with uh, your own kind, a guy named Jesus? Will you please try to negotiate the healing of my servant? They said, sure, we would love to do that. Why? Because you've given a lot of money to the synagogue. And we, we like you because you have helped us with the Together We Build programs there at the church. And so because of this, we're going to do what you ask us to do. And so they went, but they botched the negotiation. I mean, they really messed it up. So eventually the Roman centurion said, guys, you're all idiots. I've got to handle this myself. So he gains an audience with Jesus. And he goes to him and says, I realize you're a man of authority. The reason I know that is because I'm a man of authority. I tell this soldier to go and he goes. I tell that soldier to come and he comes. All you have to do is say the word And my servant will be healed. And Jesus responded, Oh, snap. Did you hear what he just said? I have not found such great faith even in all of Israel. He looked at the Roman centurion and he said, Your servant is healed. And the scripture writer says that very hour. The servant was healed. What makes this remarkable is that the servant was not even in the same geographical location as Jesus. The servant was still back on the deathbed at the house, yet Jesus, from a distance, said, be healed. And the man was healed. So in our story, Jesus reaches out and touches this man. Why? It wasn't necessary. Didn't have to do it in order to heal the man. So why did he touch this man? The best answer I can come up with is this. Jesus wasn't afraid of getting leprosy. That's why he touched him. It's not that Jesus was going to get what that man's got. No, he was certain that that man was going to get what he's got. So he reached out and touched the man with leprosy. And immediately he was cleansed. The word is cured. 
It means to be cleansed from the inside out. This man was cleansed, not just the leprosy of his skin, but the leprosy of his soul. He was cleansed and he was cured from the inside out. And Jesus gave a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that are commanded in Moses as a testimony against them. At first read, it sounds like Jesus wants this guy to be quiet. At first read, it sounds like that Jesus doesn't want him ever to say anything about this healing. But I think the best understanding of that verse and of the text is that Jesus is telling him, don't say anything until you show yourself to the priest. Jesus knew the process. After all, he's the one who orchestrated and authorized the process as it was given through the prophet Moses. The Lord knew that the reinstatement process of a leper was about a week long. It began with uh, two doves. One dove was set free, the other dove was sacrificed, and that blood of that dove was sprinkled on the one who had been cured of leprosy seven times. After a week long of examinations and festivities, then on the eighth day, there were more sacrifices that were to be given. Usually it's supposed to be two lambs, but if you were poor, then one lamb and two doves. But Jesus knew that in that, in that examination process, the, the, the priest would ask the question, how were you healed? How were you cleansed of leprosy? Tell me your story. And at that point, the man were to say, The one named Jesus cleansed me. He touched me. And I've been changed and transformed from the inside out. And if anybody should be able to connect the dots, it's religious people. If anybody should be able to connect the dots, it's the Jewish rabbis. If anybody should remember and understand, there are only two success stories in all the Old Testament. And both of them is at the hands of God. And now we've got a candidate in front of us. And he's claiming that the Jesus individual has healed him. That they must understand, they must come to the conclusion that Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He's the God man. He's not just a godly man of which there have been many. He's not a man who became God of which there have been none. He is the one and only God man, fully God and fully human. Jesus is not a creation of God, another God or a lesser God. He is God. He is God in the flesh. And if anybody should get this, it's religious people. So Jesus says, don't say anything until you go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifice of Moses. But then he says, But I realize that will be a testimony against them. They'll see, but they'll not see. They will hear, but they won't understand. Because only God can do something like this. Only God can redeem. Only God can restore. Only God can reconcile. And now this one who's exhibit A, this one who had leprosy, now he's been cured and healed. It can only happen because of God doing it. This man walked out, and he had a bad case that can't help us. He just couldn't help but speak about what he'd seen and heard. I mean, Jesus clearly said and did not stutter, be quiet until you show yourself to the priest. But this man did his best Frank Sinatra, just started to spread the news. This guy, in the words of John R. W. Stott, had holy gossip. He began to talk freely. About who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. 
You know, if, if you've been redeemed, if you've been purchased, if you've been reconciled to God, if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord, if you have been set free, if you have been redeemed, you've got a bad case that can't help us. In fact, that's one of the evidences that you are redeemed. You just begin to talk freely about Jesus. Now, let's just be honest. We talk freely about a lot of stuff, don't we? We talk freely about sports. We talk freely about shopping. We talk freely about our spouse. We talk freely about our children, our grandchildren. We talk freely about our finances. You know, all the money that we used to have, all the money that we ought to have, all the money that one day we will have. We talk freely about our boss. We talk freely about our job. We talk freely about other church members. We talk freely about our neighbors. We talk freely about the deacons. We talk freely about a host of things. Yet this morning... Can we just make a commitment that this year in 2019, we're going to talk freely about Jesus? That we're going to make much about the one who has touched us and changed us? That he is going to be on our lips and he's going to be on our minds. He's going to be in our hearts. He's going to be lived out in our lives. We're going to talk much and talk freely about Jesus. This man went out and he talked freely about Christ. He just couldn't help it. And it got to the point that Jesus could go nowhere by himself. Every place he went in that region, he was surrounded by people. And Jesus even tried to get to lonely places. Is it possible, beloved, that one person can change an entire region for Christ? Is that possible? From this story it is. Apparently it, it can happen. That one person who's been redeemed, one person who's been set free from sin, one person who's been touched and changed by the Lord, one person who's been miraculously transformed by Christ can make a tremendous difference so much that the entire region where we live could be changed. The greatest evangelistic tool at the church's disposal is a life that's been transformed by Christ. The greatest evangelistic tool that you and I have is not a program. The greatest evangelistic tool is an individual who's been touched and changed by Jesus. And this man who had leprosy, he was cleansed. He was redeemed. And because of that, he went out and spoke freely about Jesus. When I stop and I read this story, I realize that Jesus touched this man. Jesus healed this man. Because Jesus was not afraid of getting what this man's got. He was certain he was going to give him what he's got. Jesus was not just popular, but Jesus was contagious i got to tell you that Jesus is just as contagious today as he's ever been. In fact, if you ever encounter Jesus, you will encounter the contagious Jesus. I've been walking with Jesus for more than 37 years now. And i got to tell you that Jesus has touched me and he's changed me. And it's not necessarily that I gave him my sickness. But in giving him my sickness, he gave me his salvation. That I, I gave him my guilt and, and he gave me his grace. That there was a sweet swap of salvation. I gave him all of my 
unrighteousness. And he gave me his innocent righteousness. That, that there was something that trans. There's something that was transferred that I gave Jesus my sin. He gave me his salvation and Jesus wasn't afraid of reaching out and touching this sinner because he wasn't afraid that my sin was going to contaminate him because he knew he was far more contagious than I was. So Jesus has touched me. Therefore, I have his righteousness. Jesus has touched me, so I have his holiness. Jesus has touched me. He's imputed his purity upon me. Jesus has touched me, so I've got the mind of Christ. Jesus has touched me, so I've got the words of Christ. Jesus has touched me, I've got the hands of Christ. Jesus has touched me, I've got the feet of Christ. Jesus has touched me, I've got the peace of Christ. Jesus has touched me, I've got the forgiveness of Christ. Jesus has touched me. I've got the love of Christ. Jesus has touched me. I've got the grace of Christ. Jesus has touched me. I've got the mercy of Christ. Jesus has touched me. Not because he's afraid of getting what I got, for he's certain I'm going to get what he's got. I've been redeemed, touched, and changed by Jesus, both now and forevermore. Because Jesus is highly contagious. And I wonder this morning, is there anybody in the house who just needs to be touched by Christ? Is there anybody who needs a touch from the master's hand? Anybody here who has never trusted Jesus as Savior, but today you realize that there's no one like him. And he's worth and worthy of all of our worship and praise. And maybe this morning, you just need to come and give him your heart, your life, and trust him as your Savior. Maybe there's somebody who needs for Jesus to touch their marriage. Maybe you need Jesus to touch your prodigal. Maybe you need Jesus to touch your finances because there's always more month than money. Maybe there's somebody here who has a human impossibility. The doctors, your friends, your advisors, they've all told you it's impossible. It cannot be fixed. Yet this morning, I want you to bring your human impossibility to the one who makes all things possible. I wonder if there's anybody here who just simply needs to be touched and changed by Jesus. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me, and he made me whole. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. Oh, Father, help us to encounter this contagious Jesus. Help us to be touched and changed by him and him alone. There's somebody here who needs to accept you by faith. There's somebody here who needs help. In their life, their marriage, their relationship with their mom, their dad, their siblings. And Father, I pray that in this moment of this invitation, that you will be praised and heal our sin-sick souls. In Jesus' name we pray.